0: Welcome to another exciting and elucidating episode of the OmniTalk Ask an Expert series. I'm your host, Chris Walton.
1: And I'm Anne Mazinga,
0: And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast growing retail blog that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail. Or Anne, as we like to say, the series that focuses on tomorrow's companies and tomorrow's trends today. Yes. Joining us to set the record straight for you, our loyal audience on all things related to customer expectations coming out of the pandemic are Microsoft's Chris Derringer, Ricardo Belmar, Sue McMahon, and Adobe's Taylor Schreiner. How are you guys doing today? Big collective hello.
2: We're great. Glad to be here.
3: (laughs) All
1: right.
2: Doing well, always a pleasure.
1: We're excited to have you guys. Now, this is not going to be your average. No, not at all. I've heard this before. What no. are the things you're going to tell me about the post pandemic? I think we're all like over that. So yes, we brought in much some so. experts today so that we can have a real deal conversation. So let's get started first by having you guys each introduce yourselves. Taylor, we'll start with you, um, because you're going to be really setting the table for a lot of this discussion. Let's go ahead and find out about you and and your role.
3: Sure. I'm Taylor Schreiner. I am Senior Director and Head of Adobe Digital Insights. Uh, It's the team you you may know from seeing our numbers around holiday shopping on TV or on the radio or reading in a newspaper. Um, And we provide that kind of economic and retail insight all year long. And I'm happy to be here to provide some of that here as well.
0: Yeah, you you guys are prolific. I mean, yes. I I can't, especially during the holiday seasons. Like everywhere I turned, it was like Adobe's data. This, Adobe's data. This, right? Is that that's we, we basically we don't. Who sleep. we're talking to right now?
3: Yeah, we don't, we don't sleep. sleep. Yeah, I
1: wish I was thinking we, it would be fun to have like the Adobe tracker going throughout the holidays, where you're like the fact checkers of like, is this data accurate? Are we really seeing more people coming back to stores? Whatever that, maybe we'll work on that for next. Yeah, holiday. let's work on
3: that. I, my, my analysts definitely feel like they want to do. I'm some sure more they want more work. <laughs> All
1: right, Rob, Ricardo, let's go to you next.
2: Sure. Yeah, Ricardo Belmar, I'm the lead partner marketing advisor here at Microsoft for retail and consumer goods. And that's kind of a long-winded way of saying I get to work with all the great uh, Microsoft partners that are really focused in on delivering great technology and solutions to retailers and consumer goods brands.
1: Yeah. Excited to have you here, Ricardo, especially as we start to dive into some of these topics. I know you have a few uh, companies that you can be throwing our way and, and throw into the conversation. Yes, second yeah, time absolutely. on the show too, I might add. Yes. yes. Second time. Yeah, yeah, good to be back. Let's go to the second second timer. Uh Chris Derringer. let's tell tell the audience about you.
4: Okay. Uh so publicly, uh Chris Deringer, you know, you've retail consumer goods practice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would be clear private versus public connotation here. But yeah, second timer, long-time listener, second-time caller, excited to be back right. here. And uh, yeah, the, the team that I have and what we do is we, we, we look at what um, Taylor just said around the trends that, you know, come out of Adobe. They're a big, you know, we're a big user of the, the stuff that you guys provide, not only a, a partner, um, but we watch those trends, recognize them and help our customers realize those wherever they're at along their, you know, digital transformation journey. And I've got a series of practitioners that I pulled out of the market who are steeped in sub-verticals and uh, functions and areas. And one of those is probably the next person that you're going to introduce here is Sue on my team as well.
1: You, you took it away for us, Chris. Sue, go ahead and introduce yourself.
5: Hi, everybody. First timer on the show, but again, an avid listener. Nice to Thanks. meet you all. Um, so Sue McMahon, I'm an industry advisor on Chris's team. As he said, we've all we're all practitioners that have come out of industry, mm-hmm. out of retail. Um, I've been in this role almost five years now, hard to believe. Um, But before that, I was with Macy's over 25 years, all on the business side. I did some buying early in my career. I ran stores. Um, I ended up moving into the corporate organization to help run stores all up across the U.S. in the back half of my career. So glad to be here today.
0: Nice recovering retailer. Yes. I love that. An love operator's that we have that on perspective. The show. Yes, I dude. like
1: to hear that too. So I'm glad we're we have you along for the ride today.
0: Oh, 100%. All right, now before we get into the discussion, just a quick reminder for those watching the early release of this interview live on LinkedIn with us right now, feel free to ask your questions of this group at any time. Do not be shy, just use the chat session window on the bottom right-hand side of your screen and fire away because these guys are ready and ready and ready to rock and roll and answer your questions as they come in. All right, let's get to it. Taylor, and and said you're gonna set the table for us. I think that was a great analogy. Sure. So my question to you to start us off, from the data-driven research that you guys have conducted, what have been the biggest sea changes you have observed coming out of the pandemic from a consumer uh, expectations perspective and which changes of those are here to stay
3: oh man uh there, <laughs> there are a number of big ones uh it's a different world uh yeah. than we've been in before and i think we're seeing a lot of stabilization around what uh the i hate this phrase post pandemic or right. late pandemic or endemic phase is going to look like um the clear one that we're facing right now is inflation uh Ooh, consumers okay. have not uh expected prices to go up online Uh, and should not have expected it for a decade. And suddenly we've gone from prices dropping 5 to 8% every year. Your computer's getting cheaper. Your furniture's getting cheaper. um, Your toys are getting cheaper. And all of that is turned around in a way that we hadn't uh, ever seen before. And that comes off of the back of the supply chain challenges that we've seen. Um, So people are expecting to do a lot more looking, a lot more searching. uh, and uh, But they are leaning toward e-commerce as the best place to find what they're looking for. And then I think the, you know, the downstream of that, you see a massive transformation in the way that uh, consumers are, are fulfilling, right? So they're okay. looking at making purchases uh, and, and you know, buying them online and picking them up in store, uh, expecting maybe longer delays in some cases and strategizing around that. But the, the, the interaction with the, the physical retail space is totally transformed and that one, look, supply chain might might shift, um, right. and we might go back to a more more deflationary world. Although, mm. I will say people have um, really moved a lot of their overall shopping online, and so I wouldn't expect overall online prices to keep going down the way they had done before the pandemic. Mm. Um, you know, hopefully we won't be searching for quite so much stuff. But in terms of interacting with stores, you know, one thing we've seen is that as Omicron has come and gone, uh, as Delta came and went that in, that looking that um online offline experience with a, with a store is radically different than it was before and it doesn't really shift with the waves of the pandemic and it looks very clearly like that one is here to stay.
0: And so that by that when you say that one you mean like buy online pick up at store buy online in in line, pick up in store get curbside yeah. pickup that kind of thing. Okay. Exactly. I want to ask you something about inflation too because you yes. said something really interesting that actually when people were starting to, I think I might have been on a on a on a call with ricardo actually when this question came up like when it was early early like what's your position on inflation mm-hmm. and i was saying like yeah you know i wasn't thinking there'd be that much because there to your point there's always been so much price deflation online so mm-hmm. from your research are you seeing that prices are going up online as well as in stores
3: yeah and it's a combination of things so okay. i guess you can think of it sort of three ways one thing is Prices that use used to go down all the time: computers, electronics, to some degree, toys, things that had chips in them. Yeah, they aren't going up, but they're not dragging the overall set of prices down anymore either. Mm. So okay. you don't you don't have that sort of sink for for inflation. Um, the other thing that's going on is that people: what is online shopping has radically changed in the past two years. You buy mm. your groceries online. You buy your furniture online. That's I bought compost online. I mean, <laughs> these are not things that you used to buy, and those things don't. Deflate the same way. I mean, if you look at our our index of prices for groceries, it basically mirrors a move for move offline, you know, CPI uh, inflation. And then in between those two points, you do have some things like furniture and personal goods and things like that, that are affected by the supply chain that are seeing some rising prices. And so when we get out of this, some of those might change, right? Chips might get cheaper. Great. Mm -hmm. That'll, that'll be another sink. Furniture, you know, you might, lumber might get, uh, cheaper and flatten out, but groceries are still going to be groceries. And, um, if there are a bigger and bigger portion of the basket, those things are just not going to go down in price. Milk is not affected by online shopping the way that computers are.
0: Yeah. The mix of online shopping has changed.
1: Yeah. Taylor, I'm curious, you talked about, you know, how inflation's one thing, that's something that people are shopping online differently. They're looking at pricing Mm -hmm. differently. And then you mentioned buy online, pick up in store too. Is there, have you guys seen any like, all right. And we saw during the pandemic, like it was more important to find out somewhere that you could get the item faster. It wasn't as much about price, but like, how are you seeing that back and forth and what's the consumer response been?
3: Well, the, the one thing that is, is clear is that from a retailer strategy perspective, you, you can't really separate your prices in store and online anymore, not if right. you're right. going to have any kind of um, credibility with your customers. So that, uh, you know, that I think also has affected the depth of discounts that we saw from, from, from retailers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in addition to overall inflation... Uh, you could see that retailers didn't feel like they had the flexibility, especially you know around Thanksgiving and Christmas, when the deepest cuts normally come into prices. Mm-hmm. They didn't really feel like they had the flexibility to go down as deep as they had before. So average sure. discounts last holiday season were nine percent across the board. Uh, previous years that'd be more like fourteen percent.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So uh, you know you're seeing that that uh, you could also no longer use the e-commerce space as a as a way to. Uh, really have a differentiated price, pricing strategy, uh, and that plays out in, in a lot of ways for the retailers. And, and I think consumers have come to understand that and, and expect that when they buy from a from a retailer, they're buying across channels with a with a similar experience and similar pricing.
0: Okay, so that makes sense. So basically, to to, to recap what you just said, you know, seen a lot of lot of changes in terms of what the consumers expect, in terms of inflation, in terms of the supply chain shortages that you that we've seen across the industry. But to your point, generally speaking, you think while that's happened, some of that's going to go away. The real big change, which you know probably isn't that big of a surprise to anyone, is really the big change being how people are shopping and how the in it, the store is interacting with that digital e-commerce environment. Now, is mm-hmm. being the primary you know primary thing that is expected to stick around while we deal with the other things related to inflation and supply chain issues. What what are the implications then in your mind? You know, with, that was a great table set, by the way, too. What What are your implications in your mind in terms of how the retail industry should start to react about react to that or think about that differently than they have in the past? Because you've started to bring up some interesting points around, you know, pricing consistency across both channels. What else comes to mind for you in that in answering that question?
3: Well, one thing that we saw is that, uh, or have seen in, in recent months, is that uh, retailers who have a, a wide variety of um, uh, of items in stock are able to manage around out of stocks much more easily, which is huh. you know, intuitive, right? But if you're going and looking for shoes, you know, if you have a great personalization scheme, you have some good AI behind it, and you say, look, you know, I see you're looking for this running shoe in size 11. We have it in other sizes, but not that one. Uh, but here's a comparable shoe. I mean, th- those, that kind of personal experience is really going to allow uh, consumers to navigate Around some of these supply chain challenges, and they'll be different. By you know, subvertical retail will be different from computers, will be different from groceries, but you know, it opens a lot of opportunities. Frankly, to delight your customers in a world where they expect scarcity and where they expect rising prices, if you can help them find what they're looking for uh, at, a, at a reasonable price uh, using you know uh, advanced personalization, that's a big win. I think for a lot of uh, a lot of retailers.
0: And the subcontext of what you just said that I picked up too is you said that skew breath actually probably matters within the scope of that conversation, right? Like if you're, you're probably wanting to have more breath than say depth in the, I mean, maybe not, but how do you think about that? That dichotomy is always in play in the minds of retailers. Like, is, did I pick up that in the right way as you just said I, that, or is that absolutely. Or am I extrapolating too far? Okay.
3: No, absolutely. I, I would say that, you know, the, the easier strategy to, to think through would be, is the, is the larger retailer, right? You can, you can create some skew depth and breadth. I think if you are more of a niche retailer, you gotta think pretty hard about who Mm -hmm. your customers are. You have an opportunity there for maybe a better experience, uh, certainly a lot of loyalty, a lot of helping them navigate items that they specifically want, especially, you know, uh, a lot of skew breadth will help you find someone who's looking for a running shoe. Uh, but if you, so I had a, a great experience with a, a, a sunglasses retailer who said, look, we don't make that set of sunglasses anymore, but what we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to find some partners who actually have some of, some of this on the secondary market. We're going to connect you. We trust these guys. You're going to make this connection. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I have a, uh, you know, a, a loyal relationship there with a, uh, uh, with a company that has you know, very little skew breadth, but a lot of investment in the relationship. And I think that's going to have to be your strategy if you're a, a smaller retailer.
0: Got it, got it. Okay, so let's bring the Microsoft folks in here too, because that was a great table set from you, Taylor. Thanks for that, Chris. Chris Deringer, let's start with you. How do you? What comes to mind for you when you start thinking about what he just said? Like, what what are the implications to you in terms of the work you're doing with retailers, and how do you think they should be thinking about this?
4: Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of things yeah. in there, and I, how do we do, do we have a, do we have two hours to pick apart <laughs> those, Taylor? Because there's a lot, but I'll try I try to condense on the big ones, and you know, Sue, jump in here too. I think so. Anyone And as you mentioned that interaction with folks and the rise of mobile commerce, we've seen 70% of that increase, right? If you've installed or seen updates on particularly iOS, have you seen and noticed how, um, you can opt out for any uh, tracking on apps nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also coming across many mobile providers. So that rise of first-party data is incredibly important, meaning how much do you know about your consumer given you're losing some of that that you might have had before? I know Sue's going to talk about that um, in a second, but the other one is support, right? If you think about post-purchase or you think about you know, one of the things you talk about is that customer engagement, what's often you know, may or may not be known as people are uh, clicking that track me where I'm at today is when you have a problem, right? So people love anonymity and being anonymous when you walk into a store, except for that one time that you have an issue. And at that moment, if you guys are like me, I expect you to know everything about me, right? right? I had this problem 20 times. I talked to 30 different people. How do you not know this? And that's really where when we talk about that support is incredibly important. And from the Microsoft side, there's an acquisition that we're almost uh, at the end with of the company called Nuance that plugs in also with our Dynamics 365 platform. And we're able to... uh, automate that first customer experience through a virtual mm-hmm. agent, Look deeper at security security options. I'll talk about our gatekeeper uh, example that we have for retail and nuance. And implementations now are going very quickly. instead of you know three to four months, we're seeing them as three to four weeks. And some of the benefits out of these, we're seeing a 25% reduction in costs. And that's not necessarily in people as much as we have this term called customer containment, right? And that containment means are people able to self-serve some of those problems directly? We're working with an agent, uh, completely hands-off. I would say, sorry, with a virtual agent. That, that we've seen go up roughly about 80%. Um, reduction in inaccurate transfers. So I'm t- shifting you to the wrong person that's gone down about eightfold. And then security is the really interesting piece. We've seen 68% of shoppers abandon a purchase because, you know, if you guys ever forgot that password mm-hmm. or send me that one password I never used before. Right. Yeah, Right. Um, and on the flip side, you have uh, fraud attacks rising around 43 to 48%. So gatekeeper, it's a really great and interesting way for you, know, you to use your voice as a fingerprint. So your voice is now that connection back to all your, all of your interactions that you have with your, um, with the brand. So finally, and, and the last part that we wrap around that is, uh, agent satisfaction has rose 24%. And that's, you know, interestingly enough, because they're not solving that same first time problem anymore. They're able to work on the bigger, more complex problems from that perspective, mm. but really an interesting 3 prong win where we've seen it for the agents, we've seen it for the brand and we're seeing it for our customers.
1: Well, and I think that you bring up a good point, Chris, it's, it's taking the experience that you have when you are in a store and you can walk up Mm -hmm. to somebody and be like, I have this problem. I need a return. This thing is wrong. And we have not had that. I mean, some, some DTC brands don't even have chat is yeah. like you don't have any yeah. help you just you right. got to email them and hope that you, somebody gets back to you so i think that's really important what you're talking about not only making the process more convenient mm-hmm. but also kind of emulating what you would be able to experience getting people comfortable as they're shopping more online too
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a great point. And just bringing that physical experience into the digital where, you know, I'm talking to someone either through chat or voice uh, and then deciding, do I want to follow up with this order? And, and the cross-sell upsell becomes very important too, because now rather than just a support conversation and solving a problem, you can give recommendations. So you, it's a great point. We're t- trying to take as much of that physical experience it might have had and bring it into the digital.
0: Yeah. So Sue, from your operator's perspective, how do you, how, how would you recap what Chris it's easy, Chris right? just said, right? Like, yeah, it sounds so simple to do, <laughs> but like, yeah, happen. right? Yeah, yeah. three to four dumb. weeks, you got it done. But like, how, right. how, how, what, 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 uh, what, would you, what would you put on top of that?
5: Yeah, a lot of what Chris talked about is, has been aspirational for many years for retail and in Taylor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're finally at a point in time where with the right machine learning and AI tools, a lot of this stuff is real um, and retailers can stand it up and make it real. And just to go back to the whole uh, concept of, First-party data tracking that, that Apple kind of put the kibosh on last April. Um, now Google has recently followed suit. They've been doing this in their in their search platform in Chrome for a long time, but they're just now announcing that they're going to extend it to Android as well. So mm-hmm. it, you know, people marketers have been talking about the death of the cookie. That's coming. Um, mm-hmm. well, it's kind of here now. <laughs> so they're looking first. Of all looking for lots of different ways to use first party data. And th- the benefit of being a retailer is you really don't have a shortage of first party data. Right. It's just siloed all over the place. You're not looking at it holistically. You're not kind of map, matching, and merging all those various customer transactions to get to a true profile of who that customer is. And, and as a result, you have experiences like Chris described when you know I've called, I've spoken to 30 people and my problem still isn't resolved, <laughs> and you should know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, so lots of talk around first party data and data platforms right now in retail. Um, how, how can we bring sense to all of this and really use the data to our advantage now that we're, you know, the cookie's gone and we can't use tracking through Facebook and, and Google and others um, to, to market to customers. So that's a very big topic right now.
0: Got it. So that makes sense. That's a, that's a really, that's a great point and great takeaway right in the beginning of this conversation too. Like. You got to think about the first-party data. You as a retailer have a tremendous amount relative to most other types of businesses. And, But specifically, you got to think about, given what Taylor said, thinking about using that to augment, creating the the physical manifestation of what you expect from a customer service perspective in the online world to make your customer service interactions happen that much more fluidly. You should be using it, tapping into that to give your customers what they want at that moment when they do want you to know who they are. That was Mm -hmm. the part I took away from what the big part i took away from what chris said ricardo what about you what about you what What else would you add on these angles that taylor mentioned
2: yeah you know i, I think there's a couple things i would add to that so right, we, there's obviously this need that we've all brought it up now that you need that kind of centralized customer data platform that ties all the different uh, data points together all the different sources together on everything that you know about that customer, not just to build on the right profile, but to then surface for the different organizational parts around the retail, you know, how do I use that data? Right, is it, am I leveraging that data when I'm coming up with a personalized promotion? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for a customer, that's one area, you know, or, or for example, just how am I leveraging this information when my store associate interacts with a customer in a physical space, right? Not just on, on digital channels, but in the store, uh, you know so we're seeing a lot of customers and, and I've got a number of partners working on this as well really finding ways to bring these collaboration tools into the store so that associates, you know, when to Chris's point, right? When the customer wants to be identified, right? When you want right. the retailer to know your history, you know, that that's, person at the store has to have access to that information. It's one thing to, uh, you know, where, where we see legacy folks right have this information spread everywhere the first step is getting it all together in one unified platform but then the next step is making it accessible right to not just people in the call center but down to the store anywhere there is a a retailer's employee that's going to interact with that customer they've got to have access to that information Mm
0: -hmm. or even to the customer themselves when they're trying to self-service themselves Yeah, for self-service tools right as well all right taylor well back to you what what, what, what else do people need to consider? What else do retailers need to have on their mind, given the types of things you talked about from the changing landscape of perceptions here?
3: Well, you know, we're seeing a, a number of, of uh, other pieces of trends that are, that are coming up. One is that, um, you know, mobile, which has been taking on, you know, mm. increasing portion of uh, people shopping, which, frankly, we had expected to sort of stay on, a, on, a, on rails to be about half of uh, all purchases, um, in dollar terms, uh, maybe next year, or the year after it started to wane just a little bit. Uh, really? now, mm. I got to put that in context. Decelerate is probably the better term because it's okay. still growing. It's still growing faster than, than desktop. Okay. Um, but it was, you know, and, and frankly, you know, uh, in 2020, we had one day where half of all sales were, uh, on mobile devices or more mm-hmm. last year we had six. So it's not like mobiles, you know, dropping off the face of the earth, but it's not, um, it's moving more toward a kind of equilibrium in the United States that is probably closer to like 60, 40 mobile desktop versus, Mm -hmm. you know what you might see in China or Japan or frankly anywhere else in the world where I think that ratio is gonna be higher. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing to to look at. Why are we not having more of a mobile experience? And and also what does mobile really mean uh, is something that I think folks need to to think about in the retail world because a lot of us, you know have a laptop and and a mobile device and think of it in that context. But there's a lot of mobile first and only uh in in the us and certainly around the world so i think that's something to to, to look at huh. we we've seen a, a, a major change in uh in, in uh financing uh really interestingly through us so the buy now mm-hmm. pay later movement mm-hmm. uh is really you know sort of came out of nowhere and is now we five six times as big as it was uh just two years ago uh, and it's it's going through its sort of early adolescence of figuring out what it is, and and uh, and, and consumers getting used to it. It is a generationally different way of of making purchases. Uh, if, if if by any chance anyone on this uh, you know uh, video hasn't heard of it before, this is the kind of thing where you you yeah. go to your checkout right, and you've got that little button at the end, right? And you've got four different you know you can pay in four pay- payments. A lot of vendors offering that. Mm-hmm. That's that's a radical uh, shift, I think, from what we've seen. Um, in the past. And, and uh, you know, finally, I think we ought to look at, you know, what is e-commerce going to be, you know, going into the future um, is something mm. that we've got to pay a lot of attention to. We track also services as well as, uh, as purchases. And we're starting to see your travel pick up. We're starting to see, mm. uh, you know, other kinds of ways that people are, are um, using their wallet uh, going forward. And we're going to hit a different, different trend here going into, into next year. Um, so we're going to come out with an e-commerce that is, you know, more comprehensive in terms of what people are, are buying this more of everything they buy is going to be bought online. That's going to continue to accelerate, but their overall purchases are also going to transform and they're going to be more out and, and more about and, and doing more traveling and, and acquiring more services. I think that's going to transform the wallet and transform the expectations, uh, going into next year.
0: Yeah. So that's interesting. So you're basically, so basically you're saying like one, how people are paying is changing by way mm-hmm. of the buy now, pay later explosion that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. What they're going to be wanting to spend their money on is changing. And then also how their shopping is still, whether mobile, desktop, some combination of the two is still, you know, very much still kind of, you know, trying to find its way or figure out where it's going to land, so to speak, you know, especially in the US. Um, right. So I'm curious, let's go back. Sue, how do you think about what we just said there? Like what what is, what is, what is that call to mind for you in terms of, how people are shopping how the what their expectations are around price what retailers need to do or think about it in 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 that arena how do you unravel everything taylor just said
5: yeah it's something that taylor said that resonated with me is this whole shift that's starting to happen um as, as we come through the other side of omicron into whatever's next but people really are craving experiences now and they haven't had them for two years almost um so there'll be some level of shift back from buying products to buying experiences and travel and all those types of things. And pre-pandemic, that was caught, the the fact that consumers were so focused on experiences was causing pain in the retail markets uh, because they weren't buying as many things in favor of experiences. So that's definitely going to shift back. Also the whole topic around uh, price inflation, you know, less Christmas was a gift in, in U.S. retail. Right. We, we picked up you know, high single-digit to low double-digit sales revenue gains on significantly less inventory at significantly higher prices. So there doesn't, there's not a better rep recipe for profit, profitability than that. Um, that's going to swing back. And plus, we're facing the headwind of a lot of the stimulus that was in the economy last year is no longer there. So right. there's, there's some pretty stiff headwinds ahead, um, mm-hmm. particularly for um, retailers selling products that are, um, that are aspirational, not necessarily necessary. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so God, that calls my too. Like the price of elasticity and uh, of demand on all these items as the as the mo- as the money switches from a goods to more services here is going to get pretty intense for retailers. Like Chris, Chris, how do you, how do you guys advise retailers to start thinking about that, or what types of things can they do to get in front of that?
4: Yeah, it's a good point. And, and Sue hit on it, right? And we kind of talk about I actually, you know, Sue and I were talking, about, and I love the way she quoted it, was we were kind of in this nirvana for retailers, right? right. Like they had that uh, as you mentioned, low cost that they were purchasing products for, a higher price point that they could put them in, and it was really was a gift, but these headwinds. Yeah are definitely coming. And, you know, it's, if I can tie Taylor and Sue talked about around that pricing, um, it's really a question. And as we think it's going to happen moving forward with that loss of stimulus checks coming through is really, how are you maximizing the margins across, as you mentioned, every sales channel, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because operating costs, right, are very different across each of those channels, right? And customers you know, as they're being pinched are going to get really savvy with inflation going up and these prices of where they're going to, where they're going to focus their dollars or vote with their dollars. So managing that margin perspective is incredibly important. And when we t- talk about it, it's definitely a portfolio approach that we want to do and look at across that area. And again, we have another partner within our Dynamics Biz Applications, uh, a company by the name of Flintbox. And what they look at is it gives you left to right visibility to make your promotional margin trade offs across mm-hmm. the omnichannel, and that allows you right to know and what you're, where you're going to take that hit in your margins or take and look at those targets from week to week. And the best we've seen in some of these implementations where we've done correctly, there's roughly per product now about a million dollars in lost productivity that you can claw back for manual or inaccurate pricing. And as high as, and this is the crazy thing, 74% increase in pricing and rebate offers that were left on the table, really impacting margin and profitability. So that view across channel and being to look at rebates and pricing and amounts and locations are incredibly impactful for retailers and consumer goods companies and wholesalers and distributors to know like where, am I going to price that product knowing all these headwinds are coming in the future? Right.
1: Right. And Chris, how are you thinking about this or how are you approaching the types of retailers that are, because I, I imagine, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about services, like it's not just the big yeah. retailers anymore. Like yeah. throughout the pandemic, more people are figuring out how to get there. You know, you're paying for your shoe repair online <laughs> when you never were before. But I mean, how are you guys thinking about the types of retailers that should be thinking about this? Cause it's not just big box legacy retailers anymore.
4: I it's a, that's a great question. And absolutely. Right. We've definitely through Microsoft, it's really important to be where our customers are and looking at those verticals. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, in some of the large ones, yeah, you can say grocery, drug and mass have their own kind of sector and focus that they have that we've talked about. Um, specialty retail, as you mentioned, has a whole other section from small to big that they've looked at mm-hmm. and driven uh, food service, specifically consumer goods, food service, another large area, right? One of our yeah. largest, the largest that you've seen out there, um, perfecting from manufacturing line to driving and putting some of those uh, first time they're going DTC, as you mentioned, how do they interact and build that first ecosystem where they largely use the retailer to manage that uh, relationship with their consumer. And now going directly to consumer, I need to know the price. I need to know who you are. I need to know where your product is and let alone a fleet that I had that was designed to go into a department store now has to figure out how to go directly to a consumer. So we've definitely broken out and verticalized and look at the looked at each different business and are trying to to tailor the best approach based on where they sit today
1: that makes sense yeah especially with all the changes to like even how, again, how we were, how people are paying for these things. Like yeah, right. you can get, you can get a subscription taco program right now at Taco Bell. Like you can be <laughs> paying for that with buy now, pay later if we, you we, want to. We, like, you just went from shoe repair to tacos. I did. I'm not, I mean, what, in it, one segment here, exactly. you're such it, a it, heel, the vastness and, of all of the, the applications for these services and the customer expectation. I mean, think that's another thing to bring it back to like yep. the post pandemic customer expectation is that you're going to get a level of service that you've had for the last two years. Online well, and it doesn't matter where you are. Shoe repair or Taco Bell,
0: hundred percent, right? or or both. Like Taco Bell are getting our shoes repaired, right. but I think it speaks to the point too. Like came, we'll come back full circle. what we said in the beginning, like you want to be known at the moment when you're in your interacting with yes. the retailer, right? right? And so, Ricardo, that brings us back to something when you got we had you guys on at the end of mm-hmm. last year which you guys talked about, which was the retail advertising network, how the retail media network was gonna be one of the top trends of 2022. Mm -hmm. And I think you guys have been proven right on that one, quite frankly. I mean, it seems like everyone and their brother's going after this. But that comes back into this discussion too, in terms of speaking to the customer in the moment, serving up relevant information, serving up relevant prices to them that are at the right level of elasticity, given that consumer's relative individual demand Talk more about that for everyone. Where is that now relative to? How do you guys think about that now relative to when we had you on the show three months ago?
2: You know, it, 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 it's true, right? So that, that's a trend that's not slowing down in any way. Uh, more and more retailers are getting on board with the idea of turning their e commerce into this kind of a retail media network. And I, I'd go even a, a step further, where some of uh, the larger ones for sure are not limiting this just to their digital footprint, right? So you're starting to see media bundles where a retailer will say to a brand, I can help promote you on product search on the website, but I can also position your product in my physical store, whether it's a digital screen or something else. And then even beyond that in other display ad networks where they're just really giving them a full managed approach uh, to how they promote and reach that consumer. And then of course for the brand, right? This means learning more, about what those consumer preferences are Uh, now that in turn is going to help them learn not just how that consumer buys at that retailer versus other retailers but if they do have a direct to consumer component right it's yet another data source that they're going to be able to compare with Uh, so i think all all of this ties back into you know where, where we started right the conversation today around customer data how i pull it all together to better understand that customer's journey and then how i use that to do intelligent promotions to you know, help my conversion, to build customer loyalty. Uh, you know, we, we could probably do another hour just talking about customer loyalty in this context, right? And, and what all the implications are there. There are so many new things that you can do now with, with, once you understand your customer with that data set to build on that loyalty. Uh, you know, I, I have a couple of partners who've done some studies as well in terms of you know how are retail customers looking at you know, optimizing conversion versus average order value versus lifetime customer value. Uh, I think up until the pandemic, right, we all kind of were zeroing in on, on where the important factors are. And everybody was starting to talk more and more about lifetime customer value, uh, over and above, I think conversion optimization. Now I'm starting to see trends around average order value. And I don't know, Taylor, if that goes with what you're seeing as well, but I've, I've been hearing that from some of my partners that average order value is starting to become more and more important, uh, for some retail customers as, as a way of, uh, whether it's, you know, overcoming, uh, price elasticity or overcoming mm-hmm. uh, inventory issues, but just building more value per transaction as sort of a, almost a precursor to how I look at that lifetime value for my customer. But for uh, I me, mean, you know, doing all of this really implies that you've got to tie it all back together into one unified system to, to build that customer profile.
3: Mm-hmm. So and Ricardo, that is what we've been seeing. We've been seeing a increase in average order value, I think also through the you know, through the shortages from the consumer's perspective, they're looking to bundle up a bunch of purchases. They're looking to, they've been doing a lot of searching. They've been putting a lot of effort into some of these, these purchases. And they're, they're taking that on and, and, and um, trying to bundle that into individual purchases, especially as frankly fulfillment costs have gone up and shipping costs have gone up. And I know retailers are trying to navigate that carefully uh, between, you know, how much to pack, how much of that to pull into their margin and how much of that to, you know, expose directly to the consumer is a is a is a tricky balance, and it, it seems increasingly uh, leaning toward you know not putting that that burden on the on the consumer. But Ricard, you said something that I, I thought it was really interesting. We are seeing as well, you know, and this won't surprise anybody on this on this call. You know, increasing value coming through email channels, anything that's got first party capability. Uh, you know, as as uh, as Sue was saying, you know, as the cookie wanes, that's one part of it. Uh, and you know, the other part of the scales, I think, is consumers are looking for the kind of uh, deep interactions that, that that Chris was talking about. And just to tie off one last thing also, I heard Chris say, you know, we we're talking about margin management um, through the, you know, o- across time. One, one trend I didn't mention is that, you know, holiday pricing and holiday growth across the year are just not nearly as strong as they've been, uh, you know, in previous years. What I mean by that is mm. you know, if you get into, you know, Thanksgiving is one thing, right? It's it's sui generous. But if you look at Fourth of July, if you look at uh, Labor Day, you look at Memorial Day, you look at Mother's Day, you see uh, uh, across time we've seen discounts get less deep, but also consumers, you know, get less elastic elastic in terms of you know how much more they're going to buy on those days. Um, so you know that is I think going to change the landscape for retailers who are thinking about you know optimizing their margin and optimizing their inventory across what's going to be a really different calendar year uh, going forward than it's been in the past.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. That mm-hmm. Wow. That's a whole nother. God, I could come back to you on that one. That's a whole nother topic, the changing dynamics of the holidays and mm-hmm. what they mean for retailers, especially given the, the growth in e-commerce and everything we've seen, you know, and related to Amazon Prime and everything having an impact on that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, in the time, because I want to definitely have to ask this question. And Taylor, let's go to you first on this one, actually. Sure. Because with Microsoft on, I have to ask about the metaverse, and we have to ask about the metaverse. So I'm curious, Taylor, for you in the early stages of this, what what are you seeing from your research around how consumers will or you know will not engage with the metaverse? What's your take on that, real quick?
3: Well, uh, you know, I think I think you basically have to decouple the conversation from the buzzword because Sweet. so much is is that that word metaverse is laden with so many things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But being at Adobe, we get a lot of insight not only into the the transactions, which I'm you know, mostly talking about, but also the creation of 3D objects, the downloading and engaging the 3D 3D objects. And we see that accelerating um, incredibly quickly. So if you kind of put the metaverse concept to one side and say, you know, what are the AR, VR um, kind of uh, experiences that, um, that, that are helping consumers? You know, there, that we see a, you know, we don't have a n- numerical track, tracker, but from an anecdotal perspective, you know, putting your, your objects in your space for furniture or, um, you know, getting to see and experience things that you're going to purchase and, 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 um, and have shipped to you is uh, accelerating incredibly quickly. And, and mm-hmm. we see retailers creating more and more of those objects, integrating them more and more into their experience. Whether that meets your definition of metaverse or you know connects with the other pieces, I think is you know open to everybody's interpretation. But certainly, you know, a, a virtual and augmented experience of, of retail shopping is clearly the way that consumers are going to shop. Because if you're going to do most of your transacting over e-commerce, the dress has got to fit, the shoes got to look right, um, you know, the couch has got to you know go between the two end tables and not crush things. All of those elements have to work, and, and the only way that that's going to work is through these kinds of uh, capabilities.
0: Yeah, so it's augmenting it essentially. Yeah, and we would one hundred percent agree with you too, Chris. W- since we had you on three months ago, what what are what are you seeing in terms of retailers adopting this, or where where are you seeing the most traction here in twenty twenty two? Sure.
4: Yeah. Um- and and thanks. So, so as part of like a chapter two, and I'm great we kind of addressed the metaverse. You know, Microsoft, we think about it is there's the consumer side, which we talked a lot about, mm-hmm. but there's also the industrial and enterprise side of that, right? Right. And we talked about last time those eight criteria, applications, things like we're using this today, mixed reality, logic. You guys, we, we did some low code, no code conversation, right? That's right. We did. Uh, it around it. That was <laughs> yeah. And and one of the ones that I like to stick on that's getting the most traction at the enterprise level that's broad and scale and you mentioned this, Taylor, is that modeling, right? And what we talk about there is a digital twin. So I'm not sure if most folks have have talked about or We kind of went through what the digital twin is before, but the basic way to talk about it is it's the intersection between data of a physical and virtual thing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's in either direction. You know, you might've seen some things out there like smart cities, particularly for us, one of the number one places we're seeing penetration for that is like at the factory floor in the manufacturing plant, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where you have thousands of centers out there connected onto a device pushing that back to a platform and ricardo talked about this a digital model right where we've got data that's mined together insights patterns and then you've got that advanced analytics and machine learning to sit there and find the predictive outcomes based on all that historical data and you know tools that we have is azure iot and synapse um the one example i guess i like to use here is have you guys ever uh have you heard about uh, pepsico frito lane the perfect cheeto have you ever had a perfect (laughs) Cheeto before? No,
1: but <laughs> well, I feel like I've. No, but it sounds like a, a, a quest lot.
4: I've been on my whole life. Yes. Oh, <laughs> warm- not yet fulfilled. A warm bag with the perfect cheeto is a very uh, unique and different experience for everyone. And, and if you look at it, right, the twins, as I talked about, it's mount monitoring things like size, shape, flavor, air. There's so many more things out of like 100 extruders that they put this in today. Mm-hmm. It manages and monitors different things like goals for ethical and environmental sourcing, the packaging, that putting together chemical, biological parameters, all that different mm-hmm. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So Basically, you have all that, that those things that they have producing what they believe is the best one, but you had experts, engineers, people that were like looking at that product. And they basically took the brains of those people, put it on our Bonsai app of that brain, to like, you know, vibration, behaviors, all that stuff into the AI, track and manage the performance on all of those extruders. And it's really what we start to call when you talk about the metaverse, AI generated human curated to really bring both of those things together at an industrial enterprise level. Wow. So AI oh. is impacting our Cheetos, all man. to make
1: the perfect Cheeto. Yeah, that's so
0: fascinating. Oh <laughs> yes. my God. I never thought we'd talk about that. All right. Oh my God. Okay. So unfortunately we're running long on time. So let's get you guys out of here on this, you know um, I think to close it up, I, I had a ton of ahas from this conversation, right. like a ton um, Cheetos being one of them. Mm-hmm. AI has <laughs> impact on the Cheeto being that's one right. of them. But, um, What is something, let's go around the horn here to to each of you guys. Sue, let's start with you, actually. What's one aha or one thing that maybe we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to share with the audience?
5: Yeah, I I would just say, just to go back to what Chris just talked about in terms of the metaverse, I think we have to be more grounded in reality there. I think there's a huge future ahead for augmented reality experiences and and deeper digital sensory experiences. But I think there's so many things we could be doing right now, like creating the perfect Cheeto. Um, The the Internet of Things and connectivity has come such a long way. And even businesses are out there connecting their entire supply chain from end to end so that they can not just do demand forecasting, but actually kind of sensing in real time where the demand is and how they can pivot the supply. So there's a lot of really cool practical application to it for for right now. and, uh, And I'd love to see us focus on that more.
0: Yeah, I actually just wrote an article about that for Forbes. It's going to come out tomorrow, I think, about computer vision being a platform to help, and computer vision AI being a platform to help do a lot of what you're talking about. Ricardo, how about you? Aha or something you wish we talked about on, on, on this conversation that maybe we didn't bring up?
2: Well, I mean, I think the one thing I'd, I'd probably bring up just to kind of tack on mm-hmm. one, one more point here on the whole metaverse conversation. Mm. It's that, that we maybe we didn't get to, right? A lot of people like to associate that with things like NFTs and, and Web3 and how that's gonna play in for retailers. I, I think for, for me, what I would offer out to everyone is there, there's no hard and fast answer yet on those. I think what's really important for retailers to consider there is experimentation, right? Mm-hmm. It, which I think is one of the top lessons learned during the pandemic for yeah. retailers is, is the idea that you, know, you have to have this culture of experimentation. If you don't try it, you won't find anything out. Right. And it's okay if it doesn't work on the first try, you try again and you keep iterating on it. And my best example, right, that I told everybody during the pandemic was how retailers rolled out curbside pickup, right? From mm-hmm. from nothing to you know amazing curbside implementations like how Target does it today, right? right? And everywhere in between, right? Most retailers didn't get it right day one. They had to iterate on it five, six different times right. to get it to where customers want it. And everything around metaverse, NFTs, it's going to be the same thing, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the only way you fail is to just not experiment at all. Right. Uh, and you just end up missing out. And that to me is, is the big, the big aha with, with that is that as a retailer, you, you've got to try something.
1: And you front and back of to house something. too, like Chris was saying, not just with customer facing, using that customer facing, it's also what operationally right. can you use those tools Exactly. Yep. Yeah.
0: Experimentation leads yeah. to serendipitous discovery if you're doing it the right way. And that's important. Taylor, what about you? Biggest aha or things you wish we had talked about?
3: Well, I, I just want to build on what Ricardo is saying. In a, in a conversation like this, where we're talking about big trends. It's really easy to kind of imply that there are simple strategies or monolithic strategies that everyone should be following. If you experiment, you're going to find you know different ways to, to play. Just because we think that you know, people are buying online, picking up in store, that doesn't mean you should go build yourself a giant retail footprint, uh, for instance. Or, and just because you know AR from a consumer's perspective is great for a lot of things doesn't mean there's not an opportunity for counter-programming the metaverse, right? And having a kind of local and tactile experience that's different that involves you know sending, sending swatches. You've got to be open to all of these perspectives. Like I said, with mobile, where it's very easy to think of yourself as the focus group of one and think, well, I've got my screen and my mobile device, and this is how mobile really works. When you stretch out to the various consumer experiences, you're going to find a lot of space to experiment in. And I think what it all comes down to at the end is in a world of personalization, you're going to have to have a really dynamic strategy to reach the experiences that all of your consumers really want to have. Yeah,
0: and you hit on a point there that's a key theme of us at OmniTalk, which is for every trend there's a counter trend, Mm -hmm. and that's something Mm -hmm. you have to keep very much in mind. All right, Chris Deringer, why don't you close us out here? Biggest, biggest aha you've had from this conversation, or
4: something you wish you talked about that you didn't get a chance to. That's a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> uh, let's say I've been trying to figure out how to work in Ann's domino $3 tipping issue that she pointed out not too mm-hmm. long ago. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, metaverse is definitely a buzzword. And so, I, you know, it, and it's used and I love you guys' perspective of trend, uh, counter trend. I I think practical applications of what's out there today for real return, either in experience or cost savings, is really important. And connecting those things back, as we talked about experimentation from digital twins I mentioned, to even, you know, connected kitchen solutions that we have back into the restaurant market. There's different to avatars that, you know, the front end experience that you might work with in a consumer. So there's lots of different ways to get started. And I think, as we mentioned that first step and getting, you know, taking that first step into that area and trying and failing quickly and having that growth mindset to determine, is this something that we're going to continue to use leverage and build on or something that we failed quickly, learn from it and moved on to the next thing. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I, what I leave us with here.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, Hey, for all those watching on LinkedIn and listening to the interview. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Hey, Chris, uh, first to you, if people found this conversation interesting, want to get in touch with you guys at Microsoft, what's the best way for them to do that?
4: Absolutely. We also uh, own a product that you just mentioned, LinkedIn as well. It's a great place to <laughs> up with us. in it's Placement 101. Thank you. Uh, we're we're going to have our, our our emails present in here. You're going to find us in LinkedIn present on here. It's simply in the chat. So reach out on either one of those and we'll happily connect you up with, with many of the ecosystem uh, area and partners that we have inside of Microsoft today.
0: Awesome. And Taylor, same question to you. People want to get their hands on this great research you guys are putting out.
3: Sure, Uh, business.adobe.com is your best place to look and look for digital economy. You will see pricing and economic data continuing to flow through there in the coming weeks and months. So it's going to keep turning in that direction. And similarly, LinkedIn is a great place to to connect as well.
0: Awesome, they can reach out to you directly there. That's awesome. We Mm -hmm. love when you guys do that. It's so cool. All right, well, hey, on behalf of Taylor, Ricardo, Chris, Sue, and Anne, and myself, the whole crew, as always, be careful out there.